You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. It's the three amigos again this evening. <laughs> Myself, Adam Keith, Matt Dye, and Zach Shermer. And we are here on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network coming to you with our Habitat and Land Management Focus Podcast. Woo. And we are back from the QDMA National Convention. How was it? In New Orleans. New oh, Orleans. New Orleans. New Orleans. It's actually not two words. It's just one. New Orleans. New Orleans. And uh, it was fantastic. We had a lot of fun. You missed out. I know. Um, we saw a lot of great people, a lot of great friends that we made last year and over the years, and then we met a whole lot of new friends, and uh, we're on a couple of other podcasts. We had we yeah, recorded we a couple of them down there. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it looks like you guys were just podcasting away. Podcasting Every picture away. was just a podcast here, podcast That's there. Right. That's actually <laughs> what the entire convention is now. It's just a podcast yeah. event. It's actually a, a live stream it's podcast, twenty four seven. Actually, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. No, it was fun, man. It's always it's always good to go see all those the the friends that you met over the yeah. Our the turkey years. hunting buddy Kyle was down there. It, saw I, some it photos wasn't actually turkey Kyle. hunting. Oh, okay. Uh, if, if anyone watched the film, it was bird. Just, he's oh. a bird. He's a fellow burger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was just time spent in the woods in yeah. Mississippi. Um, <laughs> that's funny. We love We're Kyle. Ruthless. We always rag on him because he can take it, and he's he's a good friend, but. Yeah, of course, call, saw uh, Kyle. He got an award, too, for being like that. volunteer of the year or something like that. Well, so it wasn't turkey guy to the year. <laughs> yeah. oh. <laughs> sure was. Kyle, we love you. I, I went up to him after after uh, he won it, and we were sitting towards the back. I walked up there, and I said, I guess one of the requirements to win that didn't didn't involve being a good turkey guide. <laughs> it was just simply volunteering your time. That's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kyle, Dang. I know you're listening right now. We love you, buddy. <laughs> we do. Yeah, so it was a good time. It was. 
Really, really good time. Of course, as soon as, to me, you know, last year was the first event I had been to and uh, first national convention. It was kind of like, okay, get back. And as soon as you get back, it's like, whoa, hunting season is is almost here. Mm-hmm. It really did hit you down there. I think we were actually in between recording. It was like, it's almost August. You realize uh, that, right? Like, yeah. season is here pretty much. This mm-hmm. is go time. And I feel like we just stopped planning spring plots like where, right. where was summer i don't know what happened to june or well, july but it was hot and it went by fast <laughs> and you were just like please get me out of this heat oh yeah. i'm swimming in it oh gross so anyway we got back and now we're back on our modules yes and uh i don't even is this, this number is five? five this is five of nine Whoa! Well, someone's so. Uh, yeah, that's me. I guess I need to put that thing. That was actually Justin Lawson from oh, QD May. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. calling me. I ignored him earlier this afternoon oh, while we tisk, were in our tisk, meeting. Tisk. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> now he's calling back, and I'm ignored again. I should have just answered. Um, but anyway, um, so number five, this and I gotta five. say, you know, I, I feel like I've said this every stinking time, but um, this is definitely my favorite one so this far. This is. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, what kind of surprised me as we started going through it this week was, um, and when I say this week, I mean today because we've been so busy, but how many topics or articles and videos there were included in the food plot section for QDMA? Um, it was just information after information after information, uh, basically from kind of a start to finish deal of uh, soil amendments, soil testing, all the way to food plot equipment, to a long list of basically food plot species profiles, varieties, ways you can plant, covered it all. <laughs> it was pretty exhaustive in the list. Um, so that was Her- that How was to cool. avoid herbicide, oh, herbicide yeah. resistant. Yeah. How to calibrate a uh, herbicide sprayer. Yep. Uh, Everything. Yeah. If you were – would you turn your phone off? Silent. <laughs> you think he learned by now. <laughs> right. He left me a voicemail. Oh. Hey, Justin, I'm recording a podcast. I text him too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think this one seemed like it was a lot longer than the other ones. Like, it, yeah, there's so much information about food yeah. plots. I mean, we probably could have broken it into two weeks. It was we like to. the whole book, quality food plots by QDMA yeah. in in one in one <laughs> one module. Yeah, just jam packed. Uh, I mean, you can see how much information there is uh, in the book, mm-hmm. and let alone the the modules, just jam packed with stuff. Yeah, what was your favorite sure. part? Oh gosh, I I had a couple. Um, one of the questions that we always get, and that we try and answer, and it's always a long answer, um, but is what's the what's the best thing to plant? Yeah. And that's such a loaded question. Like, what's the best? It's it's August, and I'm getting ready to plant my fall plots. What should I plant? There's so many factors that go into. To it. me, it's like asking, going up to Kevin Van Dam, say, hey. What should I fish with? I'm headed to Table Rock. What should I fish with? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like okay. Well, yeah. Throw today's conditions. What are this and that? Like it, there. That's not enough information to make a solid recommendation on what the forage you should be planting, or excuse me, the the forage you should be supplementing to the deer herd. Yeah, it goes way beyond that. And I think throughout the module, they do a good job of weighing out. Or, or basically kind of having a pros and cons list of all the different varieties that you could offer. But yeah. to answer that question is, 
what's the neighborhood like? Like, what is, we're always talking about the limited resource in areas. Like, how big is the area? Are you in crop country? Like, are there, is there a chance of standing grain? Like, you might not have any greens left. So, you might want to go with, start with um, looking into offering some sort of green forage. But, like, you have to have an understanding of the entire area. Like, for us, we're in, um, cattle ground so there's a lot of clover just mixed into pasture Mm -hmm. so here locally we don't focus that much of our our time and attention into massive large clover fields because they can get it really when they step outside the the property boundary or within but even that statement is still have to take it with a grain of salt just because you have areas where there's very little food and so you have to plant something that can take the browse pressure so you may have to result in result of that plant more clovers and more alfalfas it's that's why again like it's so loaded you can't question you can't really answer it no what we what we can do is follow up that question with about 30 other questions 30 other questions <laughs> that they're probably not ready for right um and so there's so many things that go into okay what is the perfect food plot <clears throat> yeah um yeah. to me if you were to try and say the perfect food plot is blank i would say something that can provide high quality forage as many months out of the year as possible and um in many instances i'm not sure there is one because and i think that's all by design there's not something thankfully there's not something that we can say that's the number one to plant because every food plot across america would probably be in it and we'd have that one thing um you wouldn't have a limited resource people talk about soybeans being such a great food plot but if you're in high deer areas, you're not going to grow them. They're just going to get browsed into the dirt. If you're in uh, if you're in smaller food plots, you're not going to be able to grow them. Same reason. Um, but then they 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 start growing, and by the time you start getting actual forage, we're looking at probably May in a lot of places, maybe late April. Uh, but then you've got standing grain into the winter. If the deer eat all the grain, you have this window from january maybe or february and then to march and april that's Extreme there's nothing there there's nothing yeah and that's a, no there's it's mud there's it's mud, mud yeah <laughs> mud and stems yeah and uh if you if you made it and so there's a, a big gap there to where it's it's two to three maybe even four months out of the year where you don't really have anything because of soybeans so there's not really and then you look at corn. Of course, it doesn't provide great forage during the whole growing season, but it's great forage during. It's incredible. If you actually make ears, yeah. um, in our area, it's tough in a lot yeah. of the ridge tops. Um, then you look at clover. Clover's great, um, but if it's a perennial during the summer, it's going to get real dormant and it's going to struggle. Um, and then you hit winter, and if it's a really really cold winter, it's not doing great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to beat at a certain time of the year. Here's the thing. Again, it all goes back to diversity. Have a variety of stuff out there. It, I, I know probably people are like, oh my gosh, if they say diversity one more time in a sticking podcast, <laughs> I'm going to lose my mind and stop listening. This is going to be called the diversity podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the, the truth of it is, that's the answer. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, and, and nature proves that it's the answer. Um, one of the other things that stuck out to me, going back to that um, topic of resistancy to herbicides was that a lot of times people try to blame or or say that a weed was resistant in their food plot and whether it was um 
I guess they, they went back into the techniques that was used to try and control that, that weed. It was actually a wrong technique or a, a improper rate at which that herbicide was applied. And therefore it wasn't even given the chance to be terminated. So if that's the case in your food plots and you're blaming, Oh, they're all resistant. They're all resistant. Make sure you're going back and reading directions and understanding the, the, the mode of action for each herbicide that you're using, applying at the right times under the right conditions at the right rate and make sure your, your sprayer and all is calibrated to deliver that right rate. And then if it's not dying, then it's resistant, but make sure your steps one through five are done perfectly before you result to um, maybe having, instead of starting all over and killing everything in your food plot, um, just make sure you're doing steps one through five right first. It's a lot of self-inflicted wounds, huh? Oh, Certainly can be. Yeah, yeah good it's point. Certain, yeah, and, and when it comes to the herbicide resistant, one thing that I hate seeing, I hate hearing was when people like, well, what can I do to control weeds in my clover? That's the one I see it a lot is, what can I do to control the weeds in my clover? Oh, well, just hit it with a light dose of Roundup. What? That's like saying, like, it, it, we take antibiotics when we get sick, and it's and, and we're trying to, or vaccines where we get a little bit of the bad thing, and we kind of build up that immune yeah. system. Same things happen with herbicide. Is they're getting a little bit mm-hmm. of it, and then over time they build up the immunity to where they can withstand it. What's kind of the answer to that? Because that's what we do. What? Like this time of year, we kind of hit if you the grasses it, are real tall. You tease tall. it a little bit with the yeah, herbicide? Yeah, just, just give it a little tease with the <laughs> glyphosate. A little tickle. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is the answer? And you're talking about clover plots? It, yeah. And, and a lot of times, it can come down to using a wick. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. I see. Or, or I, mowing. Or um, a spot it, treatment. It, Instead yeah. Instead of doing the whole thing, go around yeah. individual plants, grasses, clumps of grasses, whatever it could be. And because usually. Specifically targeting that uh, one spot. We notice that like we do it this time of year and it might set it back a little bit, but it's already kind of set back because it's really hot anyways. But whenever the cooler temperatures come back, it usually comes back full force. <laughs> Is he like solving the riddle of why they fight glyphosate resistant right. mares tail? So <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing <laughs> wait, a lot of wait, self-inflicted wait, wounds what, on ourselves. What, what do you do to control <laughs> <Yeah>. the weeds? <laughs> I've got a fr- I got a friend who's wondering. Yeah. yeah, I've got a buddy that did this the <laughs> other day. It's actually, just down the road. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's actually the other guy in my lease. Hey, I'm here dad. for answers, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's it. well, that's why you're here. Um, yeah, totally. I, I would dare say, you know, sometimes they'll say uh, they won't even read the label and they say, "I'll just hit it with half percent or one percent glyphosate and go out and spray it." And it's like, well, uh, wow. A lot of times when you get to that stage, that maturity of a plant, let's say mare's tail six foot tall, mm. it's going to be hard to kill it's anyway. They're to starting kill. to focus more on seed production rather than photosynthesizing and growing roots and, and growing forage. Um, so you're hitting it at a time of the year when some of these plants are already starting to shut down. and uh, Or where so, that mode of action isn't going to be effective for that herbicide because the plant's doing something different. It needed to be sprayed earlier. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, so mowing is one of those things that I we advocate that a lot in 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 your clover if you do have a lot of weeds. But as we've talked so much, and I think it was just two podcasts ago, we talked about the beneficial yeah. weeds that are in your food plots. Right, and a yeah. lot of times we mow over or spray it. Um, or cuss. If I you, mean, golly, people if, cuss weeds all the time, but they can be used for a benefit. I mm-hmm. was looking at the next camera camera pool today. I grabbed cameras yesterday. yesterday. And uh, I was going through them last night and today, and I was just looking at the food plots and kind of chuckled because there's so much ragweed growing mm-hmm. around. And, 
and there's uh, there's foxtail, which is just starting to make heads. And I mean, foxtail is one of the horrible things that we fight in in our food plots. But we just let it grow and grow because it hadn't made seed yet. Now we just went and sprayed it. It's like okay, we let that grow. Now it's going to lay over, and it mm-hmm. kind of protected the beans during that young stage. So, and, and there's an important thing to note there. It was, it's not to the stage where that herbicide isn't going to be effective before that seed head starts yeah. to develop. It that herbicide would still work, even though it is more mature than when we first saw it. It it has a purpose, and it, it served its purpose. Now, before it, that herbicide would not be effective, we're treating it and killing it. So. But yeah, it's a it's a great point. I mean, not every food plot is going to and and I I think should look like the bag that you get. Oh, yeah. You know, the the food plot, uh, whatever it comes in, the picture that's on the, the perfectly bag. manicured. You know? <laughs> yeah, and um, I, I think the this this it's just like a hamburger at McDonald's or wherever you you get uh, fast food. Like it doesn't it never looks like the menu, but it still tastes good, right? It still <laughs> yeah. serves the purpose. Um, uh, same thing goes for weeds and food plots. Certain weeds, yeah. 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 I mean, hey, it's that fine line. There's no, like, when you say weeds, it's like uh, a weed is a, uh, I think the definition is a species in a, on one, a plant species in an unwanted place. Yeah. yeah. And so soybean could be a weed right. in certain instances. Corn mm-hmm. could be a weed. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, this podcast we're going to ramble that's, on about that's food a plots. Great, great for thing to two and a half hours <laughs> to, to note. I hope uh, you got a long commute this yeah, morning, right? What if what if someone had just um, had had a soybean field the year prior? Some soybeans had reseeded, and and in that meantime, they they switched and transitioned to a clover plot. Would you go in and pull the soybeans? You spray them with gramoxone. Yeah. What would you do? <laughs> would you po- let them go? Uh, yeah, they would. Okay. They'd be like, heck yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I got, got soybeans right. Yeah. Well, same thing for some of these weeds. That's the that's the exact point that, that we're trying well, to I've make. Is- I've seen it in, in fields where the deer don't eat all the pods, and they eat some of them, but it's like up close to a house or up close to the office. And, and uh, I, I think of a spot years ago – first forage soybeans ever planted on Missouri Department of Conservation ground and the deer didn't eat all the pods and next year they came up oh, yeah. and it was just like they're almost so thick what do you do and it's you can't even hardly fathom the thought of spraying them out or trying to disc them under or mow them down it's just like um I'm not real sure what to do but it was very beneficial I mean deer had tons of forage that so. happened to us two years ago we planted our first good set of of forage soybeans and Early last spring, we noticed the front yard was just covered in soybeans. We're like, mm-hmm. should we even replant, like, spend the money on more beans? And yeah. they ended up getting hammered anyways. But yeah. <laughs> so we had to replant. But it was pretty cool to see that. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, what, what are, what's our definition of a weed, and, and what's the purpose of that plant mm-hmm. in, in that in that setting? Um, anything else, Adam, to you that just stuck out in the, in the food plot world of uh, the QDMA? I thought the the study that Craig, Dr. Craig Harper did on mm-hmm. soybeans and corn going hand in hand, we talked yeah. about that a lot. And I mean, knock down, knock down, drag out arguments with with buddies and friends that that kind of are always like from crop country, so you can't combine the two. And you know, I, I drive by acres and acres of cornfields, traveling. I just see bare dirt everywhere. And then I drive by acres and acres of 
soybean fields and I see bare dirt bare dirt under him it's like why can't we fill in those gaps with something Mm -hmm. now i'm not saying that we're looking for grain production i've never been in that boat saying yes you're going to get the greatest grain production you're that you could just roll in there with a combine and combine it all and say yeah that's right no different from a monoculture if that was the case people in the agricultural setting would do it yeah like they'd have alfalfa mixed in there too if they could (laughs) right but we're not in the agricultural setting this is the food plot world and and for me the food plot world we need to be really focused on our soil health and we should be the ones because we're not looking for grain production on the on a massive scale we're not trying to feed the country or feed the world on our grain production we're just trying to feed our deer and we can feed the deer with what we have, but we can we can lower it down a little bit, but have great forage during the summer months. So if you plant a food plot, what do you want? If you want to, if you're planting a food plot, ideally you're you're looking at as soon as I plant, I start getting forage, and I have it all the way through deer season. Mm-hmm. But if you plant corn, you don't get that great forage. So why not plant something else that you can have great right. forage? And so, like, even if it's annual clovers mixed in with the corn that you see a lot mm-hmm. in crop country, some of these new innovative crop farmers are doing that. And so now they have great food, but they're also not just planting the grass, that corn, they're planting a legume or a legume and broad leaves mixed in. And I saw, uh, I saw um, on uh, social media the other day, a cousin shared a, a video, and it was, a, it was a drone shot of a combine going through a wheat field. And it was like his first pass right through the dead center. And he was combining and clipping the wheat. And then behind him, because the drone was up high enough, you could see fresh soybeans underneath. What they had done is gone back. Andrew Clifton shared that as well. Oh, really? Yeah. And and interceded Hmm. in between the rows of the wheat, soybeans at the right, you know, at the the typical time, normal time. And they were growing and doing fine. And then that wheat was getting harvested. It It was a double cropping system, not like one after another, but using the timing of both in the harvest to basically keep that ground and soil covered and active. And it's like, that's what I like to see more of that. And you see, I've seen where they're making those, those drills, those planters Mm -hmm. specifically for planting in corn. That's already eight inches tall. It looks like a big spraying rig with these tubes hanging down and it goes in between the rows and it's seeding. But you're, you're, the, the buggy itself is above the corn as it's growing. Hmm. So you it's, get the corn growing, then you get something else filling in. And that's also, that's not only protecting your soil and keeping something vegetative growing, but it's also helping improve that soil health to where it's it's fighting off the weeds, but it's also keeps mining nutri- too, yeah. nutrients and mining, mining uh, the nutrients and fixating nitrogen. So it's just a huge benefit. Um, so, yeah, I found that really interesting. What they found was that, the forage and crop product grain production was decreased with the mixing of corn and soybeans. Correct, but yeah, you still get both things. Yeah, yeah, in one, in one acre. Um, so yeah, not that that was not a shock at all. And not to say that you have to mix those two. You could do oh, corn yeah. with the annual clovers or yeah. corn with something else. I, mm-hmm. I just don't want to see monoculture. Yeah. Shout out to Ryan Kirby. He's the one that catches clear. that one the most. Oh, the monoculture <laughs> Yeah, that's the comment he usually <laughs> makes the most to me. Um, one, one, uh, I guess, little quote that I pulled out from um, Kip's article, and it, it kind of reflects the overall uh, theme of that we, we often get on uh, with Land and Legacy, but he says, Some food plotters complain when unintended species use their plots. 
We know we've been we've we've had strong words for wayward uh, woodchucks in our soybeans and bears in our corn, but we're fully aware the outdoor experiences are richer for their presence. So this was talking about you know other species that benefit from food plotting and these high quality acres devoted to just production and tonnage of great forage. Um, woodchucks are a groundhog. Woodchuck is kind of a northern deal, yeah, but I can't believe I you called, said that. I'm just I'm never, reading. <laughs> never I'm seen reading. a woodchuck. <laughs> I've what only heard woodchuck? about woodchucks in the riddle. Yeah, how much wood woodchuck woodchuck yeah. catch a wood? That's oh, it. nice, nice. Under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like everyone sees groundhogs. But again, that that's <clears throat> your 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 experience by food pine should be richer because of the benefit that you're giving and basically spreading out, you know, the, the wealth, if you will. Um, that sounds like a socialist <laughs> point yeah, of view, <laughs> but no, but that, that does make the, the hunt richer. I mean, you're, I want to see more experience. animals, right? I, when I'm sitting out there. Yeah. No, you doubt. guys have bears on that, on your property out there. <clears throat> You got those Tons. pictures? I mean, it's incredible. And Did you see the cub? Yeah, I saw yeah. the cub up in the tree. Right there, no, yeah. right there. That was in Arkansas. Oh, that was in Arkansas. Okay. Yeah. But still, that's and that was that's what the a first f- cub yeah, we've right ever there. seen that's on the so farm. That's so cool. Mm. You know, I, would, I, I would love to see stuff like that. That that doesn't frighten me or anything. They're just you no. know Missouri and black bears. And it wouldn't steer you cool. away from changing your right. food plot strategy. They got to eat just yeah. like a coyote, just like a coon. doesn't yeah. matter. But the experience, I don't want people to get caught up on, on oh, my gosh, I got groundhogs or I got bears tearing up my corn. This is just it, for the deer and yeah. turkey. <laughs> just for them. Like the experience, if you look at it from a from a greater scale, from a wider, broader standpoint, your experience can be and should be richer down the road. Well, it's just better for the ecosystem too, right? I oh, mean, yeah. that's just. Yeah. If you're helping all animals flourish within that ecosystem, that's mm-hmm. how it should be. That's that's a land manager. Native, too. Right. Native. Native. Get them non-natives out of here. Non-natives out of here. <laughs> I was saying, like, I, I think a lot of times it, we forget that a coyote is native. Right. And uh, so that's just. They're that's a cool a, animal. They are. I have I, mad respect for it. I do, too. So, the way, gosh. Their resilience. Holy cow. They're in, like. me? downtown new york yeah chicago, chicago. i mean it's inc- it's incredible <laughs> yeah it's incredible i have mad respect for them too so no doubt when it comes to the food plots and the qdma module www.qdma.com forward slash land and legacy land and legacy <laughs> land and legacy <laughs> that will get you so access many, yes. to the to the Rest of the modules that we're we're going to be going through um, for the next, I guess, will be three weeks. Um, we'll be covering some more topics that they've got. If so. you've been on the fence, going, okay, why do I really need to take the, pay the money to and and that that promo code or whatever you call that landing page gets you a twenty percent discount. Yeah. Um, so it's what did it end up being? It's seventy nine ninety five for all eight modules that yeah. you have unlimited access to it's not like it just times out over a certain period like once you're in once you've got these modules that's your information to use and use as a library a resource and if you've been on the fence about okay i don't know if i want to pay the money to do that this was this was the module to get you to pay the money because there's so much information with food plots so oh yeah oh yeah anyway um i don't know what next week is but i'm sure it's gonna be good if it's any like 
like any I of the rest. I forget what I saw. And I, I looked you at peaked. it, but I totally, for, totally forgot. But when it comes to food plots, great time to go ahead and un, unleash. Unveil. Unveil. <laughs> um, Discuss. We... Why we're, don't we just twenty three minutes say into it? Dive on in. Dive on dive in. Dive on in. <laughs> Where's the jar? That's it. Um, Put your pennies in, boys. <laughs> so it's here. We've been working with Stratton. Oops. I don't know who's doing that, but dude, all right. We've, if we've if for you guys listening right now, we are like air traffic control guys. <laughs> we have headsets. They've got these new headsets. They're sweet, but we just—I'm not used to it yet. But you guys ran them all during. Yeah, I like, like it. I the, wish I was in a more comfortable chair. This we is should not get the most, lazy. Get boys. some lazy boys. That's exactly, seriously yeah. just that the most awesome. relaxed podcast ever. We sh- we should do that. <laughs> Yeah, a camera over let me, everyone let me else's shoulder. Explain that just, one to my wife. Why yeah. there's three lazy boys in the middle of What's our that? office? Yeah. What's Bay that thousand dollar charge on your yeah. card? Oh, yeah. we needed lazy boys for the podcast. Yeah. yeah. We just figured we'd have like a more relaxed atmosphere and just comfortable. Just you know, just with have more fluid. Now, right? yeah. yeah. Hey Babe, guys, it'll make sense. I, I really want to talk about. Food All right, plots. go ahead. See you. Stratton um, Seed. Stratton Seed Company out of Stuttgart, Arkansas. Of course, we unveiled the um, Heritage Blend last. March or May, maybe April. I don't even remember when we did that. This spring? This spring. <laughs> we know. unveiled the Heritage Blend, which we planted and had great success with it. Yeah. Royal Flush, another one that was more for the game birders out there, the quail and the doves and pheasants even if you want. Um, really like that blend as well. Um, and then we have the forage soybeans, the wild game changers. Um so as we progress into the summer, we've been working on our fall blends. And what we came up with are these right here, the Legacy Blend, which is kind of the, the food plot paradise, if you will. Ooh, paradise. You like that? It's a place I want to go. And then we've got the Cattleman's Treasure, which is, mm. as people have listened to podcasts, we talk a little bit about ag and cows, but that one is designed specifically for the cattle farmer who wants to graze cover that, crops. That's the wild card. People are like, did they... Did they just say Cattleman's Treasure? What? That's right. More to come. We're going we're gonna to go through it. Hold on. <laughs> and then we have Emerge and Revival. Um, so let's go ahead and start first with the Legacy Blend. That mm. is kind of the baby of the fall blend for us. Backbone. The backbone. Um, so Meat and the Legacy Blend by Stratton Seed Company. This is the one that we really encourage everybody to check out. We encourage you to check out all of them. But if you're looking for the... The question that says, what do I plant my food plot? And we only get that one question, we'll probably point you to Legacy Blend. Because it's got 14, is that right? That's 12. 12. 12. Okay, 12. Whoa, <laughs> math is bad. <laughs> I gave it an extra row extra as I two. counted by twos. In addition so, to Lazy Boys, how about we throw in a calculator? <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, well, we're recording um, now on video. <laughs> <laughs> you just cut that out. Um, so we've got the, uh, the legacy blend. <laughs> <laughs> we've got the legacy blend um, with the twelve species, and we have. And w- when we look at nature, 
and I'm, I'm building this up because I want people to be kind of expecting this and waiting for it. But by the time you talk about the actual species that are in here, it's people are be, be falling off the edges be, of their chair. It's going to be time for the <laughs> would you rather. Yeah. Um, but when you look at nature, there's always a diversity of species. You have legumes, you have grasses, you have broadleaves. And uh, so we have designed this to have all three of those, multiples of those, and kind of designed to support and help each other. Um, as we talked in podcasts back about how we like the diversity because they can all lean and support on each other. Um, each species has a prime time, a peak time where it's more palatable, it's more nutritional, and it's more attractive to the wildlife, specifically the deer, since we're planting this in a food plot aspect. So there's species <clears throat> in here that are going to mature and be great a little earlier in the season than something's going to be way better in the middle of the winter and stuff that's going to grow great in the spring coming out of it and other stuff that's going to take a little bit of time um so first we have crimson clover boom crimson clover is a really if you just go buy crimson clover it's a really cheap annual clover that is got a beautiful bloom in the spring you go down south you'll see it everywhere on the side of the highway um just almost well, it's a crimson bloom, mm-hmm. um, and so you'll see it. It's great forage. It starts growing early in the spring, much earlier than a lot of other clovers, and way earlier than you get your soybeans in the ground. It kind of starts growing in that February or March, April. In that window, as we talked when the soybeans weren't real productive, crimson clover is a great answer for that. So that's the number one for us. It's number one on the list. That's why it's not like it's the best, the best seed in this blend but it's it's on the first column crimson mm-hmm. clover love it it's great in the spring once it starts blooming pollinators love it you'll see lots of bees so there's not only an aspect beneficial to the deer um, it's also beneficial to the pollinators another thing i like about it is it's really acidic soil tolerant so some clovers aren't great in the acidic soils crimson clover is so if you are it kind of covers a wide variety because we have three different clovers in this mix so hopefully one of them if you're in less than ideal conditions or you still have a clover that's going to that's going to do great um, it also fixates 70 to 150 pounds of nitrogen per acre so as has all legumes they fixate nitrogen this mm-hmm. is a pretty good one uh, matt you got anything to add on crimson clover boom no I, that's one of those things that people are gonna ask okay I, you know I, I haven't really heard it in too many too many mixes and what what's the peak and what's the purpose uh, this is a dynamic blend because it has so many different species but it's one of those things that you can plant you know august middle of august um before the fall and then you're gonna have a kick in and and a the quality of that crimson on through the spring like it's a lasting thing um and, and it's a long-term if you will in an annual setting benefit in addition to this to this food plot mixture so we talk about trying to keep these acres in food plots as productive as possible for as long as possible and hitting these stress points that's one that'll do it that'll help through these uh these tough times so perfect addition to that so the next clover we have is uh, a clover which this is kind of one that you don't see. It's kind of new to seeing. People have been planting a little bit, but it's not like your Durana or your your uh, 
Ladino clover or yeah. red clovers, yep. some of the traditional ones that we see Perennials, a lot of. Yeah. Um, this one's really cool. I really like this one because in when they tested it, a lot of guys are using it in the ag side for cover crops or even to graze it, and they're seeing it grow. One test site had it eight foot tall uh, above ground. So it's got a huge it, root mass. It can have. Yeah, and that that's not like eight foot as in it's going to grow vertically eight foot, but more run along the ground, like oh, from okay. where it emerged from the ground and was running and and kind of climbing all over itself. It basically was kind of like an mat. ivy, huh? A, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. It was incredible amount of tonnage produced. Yes. And, and extreme forage qualities at the same time. And it's going to continue growing and being pretty productive even down to negative 14. No kidding. So it's really cold cold tolerant. Um, it also fixates a ton of nitrogen, almost over 250 pounds of nitrogen per acre. Wow. So in ideal situations, this thing will go nuts. Um, it, to me, it's not your traditional big big leaves clover like you see on some it's more shows similarities to an alfalfa Mm -hmm. um so awesome awesome other clover mixed in with the crimson the next clover is persine clover um which is kind of like we said pre-show um all of them have their certain strong points and uh persine clover is going to produce a lot quicker than the others so there's a chance that you get a ton of forage out of it in the fall, um, you're going to get that early in the season when when it may take a little longer for the crimson clover, the the balanza clover, to start really building root and building some forage. So brassim is is one of those things that can come on early and be an awesome little plant, um, and it also fixates about 150 above 150 pounds of nitrogen per acre. So and I want to clarify, most of these numbers that you're throwing out are are just pure strands like they're they're fields of just straight monocultures, monocultures. monocultures. Yes. that's where those numbers are coming from but so it's not like with the balanza and and the bursine that you're gonna get 400 pounds of nitrogen fixated it, it's all in a ratio of, uh, and uh i guess a proportion to the amount per acre that is being planted however you have so many different species working and building and producing this nitrogen with the legumes that are in here so you have this is just a, a basically a testament to show how much can be produced um in when they're all yeah all put together and you combine that with the other legume that's in there austrian winter peas mm-hmm. and you have four species four legumes all fixating nitrogen so we don't know how many pounds of nitrogen but we know they're fixating yeah. nitrogen throughout the entire Bingo. food plot Bingo. um and and there that nitrogen is now available for other plants to use um in the future um so austrian winter peas another one of those things that's great at fixating nitrogen 90 to 150 pounds of nitrogen per acre in a monoculture test sites it grows about four foot tall in some t- at sometimes now he me personally <laughs> i've never seen I've four never foot seen tall get there because deer have been hitting that hard. that's the one and, I and was it's so viney so that's about, not yeah. like a stem that's vining up at other stuff um to me the first time i ever saw um Austrian winter peas make it was in a huge food plot and when I was working for the Missouri Department of Conservation and it made this beautiful bloom and I'm like what is that all that's Austrian winter peas I'm like I've never seen them get that tall because they always get hammered early in the spring if they can make it through the winter which they're pretty really cold taller um, if they make it they can 
be great forage in that same window when soybeans aren't planted yet and it's just a great forage but the problem is they could be easily overbrowsed. Mm-hmm. Do they produce like a little pod with peas yeah. in it? I'm yeah. guessing, kind of yeah. like a sugar snap pea. Yeah, or something. Get there. yeah. Well, and I'm not, I'm not kidding. One, the, the nickname for it is like the ice cream for deer. I think is what I've heard it called many times before. But in the springtime, when we're going looking at food plots, you know what, what's still growing, what's still active, the the leaves you could pull them and it tastes and eat it yourself. And really? It tastes just like a sugar snap pea. That's like, awesome. You know when you're at the the farmer's market, you just pick one up and, and throw it in. It's that exact same like kind of pod flavor, but in the leaf. It's oh, I, I do it all the time. We grew some uh, snap peas in our garden. But anyways, yeah, I was really interested about that. When I saw it on the QDMA website last, oh, I'd say last winter when I was doing a little bit of research on what we should do in our food plots. So I'm, I'm really excited about that one being in the mix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Put that in our fields. And it's kind of that. If it, if can, it makes it, if right? it can make yeah. it, if they don't browse it out early, and that's the importance yeah. of having all the all other these stuff mixtures. In there, that's yeah, that but, it can make it. So uh, we've we've done this and and had it in mixtures before and routinely. And I think because it's it's part of the mixture, we routinely see it growing each and every spring. So it still is there, still provides forage that time within this mix. Okay, so you should experience the the same. So there's right. our legumes. We've got. Crimson clover, balanza clover, brassine clover, and Austrian winter peas. Next up, we go to the grains, the grasses, and we have triticale. Triticale is a hybrid between cereal rye and wheat. So it's kind of that. And I actually like triticale more than cereal rye when we're looking at the biomass aspect in the spring where it's like how can we fight off weed competition. And I'll explain that because triticale is a lot bladier. It's, it's, I mean... I've seen it almost look like it's an inch wide. Hmm. Whenever cereal rye is, you know, in late April, it's a yeah thinner than a pencil. It's pencil tiny. lead mm-hmm. it's a all the way noodle. up. Yeah, yeah, it's a spaghetti <laughs> noodle. It. It's and uh, with this head on the end of it that's not real. It's not like once cereal rye dries that you're going to see turkeys out there just hammering it away like you do in a wheat field mm-hmm. um, once it's matured. So it's kind of in between. You get great forage but in more forage state. So in the spring, when we return to plant, you would have cereal rye because it's also in this mix. And it's really good at fixating nitrogen and really rough ground. That's one of the big benefits of cereal rye, but I'll get there. It's six foot tall or five mm-hmm. foot tall. Tread kale is not going to be as tall, but it's more blade-like. Denser. So you lay it over and it just covers it a lot just of cover the a ground soil, rather yeah. than a lot of – it takes a lot of stems to cover the soil. Tread kale fills that void – so you mix that with the cereal rye and winter wheat, and you're going to have a great biomass, basically a weed mat next spring. Is it really palatable whenever it's just starting to germinate and grow? Oh, yeah. it's, it's an awesome. You won't really hard, hardly notice the difference between winter wheat and oats in the fall. So it's it's a great, great forage. Um, winter wheat also in there. Um, of course, everybody knows winter wheat. What, uh-huh. what fall food plot blend doesn't have winter right. wheat, right? <laughs> That's right. Most of the blends have so much winter wheat oh, that it's like yeah. a, Oh, this is ninety percent winter wheat, <laughs> and then you're looking like. Yet I'm paying for the clover. This <laughs> yeah, where's my turnip, man? <laughs> so uh, winter wheat's also in here. Of course, winter wheat's just one of those great glues, I guess, for a lot of people. But it's, it's a staple. It's, uh, mm-hmm. You got to have it in there. It's it's great forage. It can really take. Thing I love about winter wheat, as triticale, as cereal rye, and oats is 
once you plant one seed, comes up one stem, it gets browse, comes up three stems, Tillers. gets browse, it Tilling, comes yeah. up five stems, and over time you get just yard like grass. Yeah. And, and um, wheat and cereal rye can actively grow in soil temperatures at thirty I think thirty eight for cereal rye and thirty nine for wheat. So when the soil temperature itself is at that that level and especially for our area, we will hit times during December and and we could have a warm January January or even parts of February where we'll get three, four and five days where the soil temperature will rise and you'll see additional growth during that time. Yeah, it'll start really green and it, it will, yep. yeah. And and so we certainly have those in there to offer in those time periods if we get the right temperatures they'll still grow some mm-hmm. we, we've had people that we know have planted in december seal or rye yeah and really. it's grown if it, here it, 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 locally de- depending on yes. the weather if you get depending in the rain the and it's not super cold the soil's not frozen solid um you'll still get it to grow so it cereal rye grows great in cold temps, and it's great at just growing in some cruddy ground. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you you could plant it in borderline glade and get it to where it's growing and have <laughs> something beneficial. Carport. Yeah, and so then the next one, spring oats. Um, oats to me is like so overlooked when it comes to a food plot application. That early October, mid to early October, or I guess I should say early to mid October, it's a fantastic food plot because. A lot of times winter wheat, trid kale, cereal rye is not coming on real strong. Oats are coming on strong, and they're really paddable, and there's a lot of forage, and deer just hammer them. And so I, I love to include them in a, in a food plot mix. So that's kind of, you're not going to have great stands of oats in the spring, possibly. They're not uh, if winter they, If they uh, get through the winter, but they're going to be great in that fall during hunt season. Next up is, of course, a radish. Um Another staple. Mm-hmm. Another staple of, of food plot world. Um, it came on the scene, I don't know how many years ago, but now everybody loves them. They're so great at providing great forage in that same kind of time frame as oats, if not a little bit later, late October. Um, and then they make that huge, huge radish that just can right. tear up some ground and really open up. and Great uh, compaction and cycle nutrients. I think some of the tubers and, and the taproot beyond that massive – uh, tuber is two and three foot down. Dang. I mean, you're getting you're getting activity and bring that back up to the top, whereas you know your typical you're not wheat gonna, stand, yeah, you're not going to have that. You're not going to get that. With so the it's wheat important stand. to incorporate that stuff in. And then the once it makes it through the winter, it starts rotting, and that's when you'll first time I ever planted them. We're talking two inch diameter. Walk out there and you see just a hole in the ground right. going six inches, and you're like, "What in the world?" The heck We're talking about here? water can penetrate right. that once they rot out. Right. Um, so it rots really quick, and it's great at at basically building some soil health. Purple top turnip, oh the the the, the, the greatest most food staple plot. of all yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to food plots, we got a lot of staples in here. Well, yeah. the well the radish. Okay, so I've always heard that the purple top turnip. Uh, after that first frost, yes, it's like the sugars released down into the to into the, the gr- tube. Or- no, into the into the into forage. The into, oh, into the into forage. The okay, is that yeah. the same thing with the radish? I don't. Uh, I see them hitting radishes long before yeah. the first frost. Yep. So, it, and the reason for purple top turnips is it's real bitter before that first frost. Right. So it can keep growing, keep growing, and they're not going to hit it until you get that first frost. I've still so seen- November, great for forage in the greens. And then the great thing about turnips, purple top turnips, is 
Then you hit December. Probably mm-hmm. the greens have been frosted on a lot so and eaten, so they're kind of starting to dwindle. Then they start hitting those bulbs of the And they're of the so turnips. much denser. They last longer than that radish. I oh, mean, we'll go on our food ooh. pots and pull some up ourselves for dinner sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love those things. So then the next one is rapeseed. Um Similar to the brass, because just a great, very palatable. It's one of those that you t- pull a leaf. Leafy green, start, baby. You start mm. chewing on it, it just turns to mush. I mean, it's yeah. so palatable. It turns your um, spit green. That's <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> it does. So it's a, it's another great, palatable, nutritious uh, addition plant to the, to ad- an addition. Green. Then the last one is a hybrid turnip, which is more of a browse-tolerant turnip. Doesn't make as big of a bulb as the purple top, but it's got more greens and can withstand a little more hmm. um, browse pressure than your purple top. So that's it. Crimson clover, balanza clover, bersine clover, Austrian winter peas, triticale, winter wheat, cereal rye, spring oats, daikon radish, purple top turnips, rape, and this hybrid turnip. And I think the important part to take away from this all is – it's kind of a cover a basis deal. Like you can plant it in a lot of a lot of different places, a lot of different scenarios. And obviously, we talked about this is when this peaks, this is when that peaks. This is like, and that was from planting date basically as soon as germination occurs till spring. So you again, you cover a wide basis, and it's very applicable to a lot of people's situations and a lot of forage produced. When is the ideal time to plant this mix? Forty-five to sixty days ish before your first average frost. Okay. So for us, that's late August sometime, yeah. mid to late August. Weather dependent, try to time it before that hurricane rain comes mm-hmm. up here and you get two inches in two days or it rains for a week straight. That's that's kind of the plan always for us in food plot world. Mid Once mid-August hits, be ready, have your seed, and wait for the rain. Mm-hmm. And then be when it's on the radar, radar and it's coming your way, start planting. Put it in. Yep. Uh, that, to me, is one of those where the legacy blend is where – you have an eighth of an acre, five acres, whatever it is, that's Planet. your go-to. Yep. Um, and it's going to be sold in 40-pound bags, recommended two bags per acre. Yep. Um, price is hopefully going to be somewhere between 36 to 40 some dollars um, is kind of what first word not is. Not bad for all that seed. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Not bad at all. No. Anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of the go-to. Um, I mean, we're talking that's going to hopefully be in a lot of, gr- lot of acres this year this fall um so next i know we're at 47 minutes so we're going to keep rolling through (laughs) we've got cattleman's treasure which which this one was designed for the cattleman um and the guy if you're looking to try and be that multi-use property Mm -hmm. and you're wanting to have palatable food for your deer but also the cows get the benefit i think of this is the wild card that's out there that people like how do I win over that farmer? Mm-hmm. How do I how do I make my hunting better but appease him? On oh, this could be a lease ground. He doesn't want to give up any acres for food plots. Well, maybe you plant an ag field that's idle, and now he gets benefit too. But so do you. This is that that. that and this uh, is where you pay, you slide but you let him. Boy. And and this is where the proper management. Now cows. Mm-hmm. People talk so much about cows being a negative to wildlife. That's not the cow's fault. That's the manager's fault. If they're managed correctly, they can benefit the wildlife. Um, And when it comes to grazing cover crops, it's not your ideal turn them on a 40-acre pasture of cover crops and just let them graze it because it's not going to work. Strip grazing is what's really ideal for these cover crop grazing systems. So this is with species 
that are a little more, and since this is a hunting focused podcast or where most of our audience is hunting, we'll kind of go through them. It's a lot of the same species, give or take the, the legacy blend, but these species are a little more browse tolerant. And at different rates. And at different rates. So we have the purple top turnip because it is, and that's the huge benefit with grazing cover crops, is you can speed up that process of building soil health. Uh, purple top turnip, so it's great at improving soil health, but it's also pretty good forage. And then you have the uh, balanza clover, which, as we said, Ooh. it's at a higher rate than it was in the legacy blend. Yep. Um, so it's it's going to be great um, heard, to graze. Heard very good reviews on on grazing those with cattle. That that um, balanza clover. Yep. Then you have winter wheat. Of course, that's like the the cover crop that everybody grazes out in Kansas is you graze winter wheat. Um, then we have bursine clover. Same thing, higher rate than it was in legacy blend. It's a great great staple in this uh, cattleman's treasure. Then you have spring oats, triticale, cereal rye, and the radish. So you have those others, those purple, the purple top and the radish, um, which aren't as browse tolerant, but they are great um, soil builders and are great forage. So they're not as heavy in this mix as they were in the Legacy blend. Um, you go with the more of the clovers and the grains, but it's just a great, a great mix. Comes in a 50-pound bag. Suggested planting raise 50 pounds per acre, um, and include. And in, I think of all those times where growing or not growing up it's been in the last probably eight years of cut the corn what do you do now we have bare ground and you try to return with a cover crop that would be a great a great mix to put in there to have great forage for the cows as well as when the cows aren't grazing it it's great forage for the deer well and that's the thing most people are, are get really excited and giddy about um spilled grain or leftover grain in ag fields a, a lot of a lot of hunters in, in crop country obviously but what's going to make that just spilled grain, that crop feel better? A blend like this mm-hmm. and in a farming um, a, a, a farming situation, basically. Uh, it's not just spilled grain that they're after because combines are getting more and more efficient. Mm-hmm. There's less spilled grain as technology gets better in fields left every single year. So if it's an idle field, you can plant this or encourage a farmer to split the cost maybe with you. Um, and, and the way they can fence it off still might be applicable to um great great forage and hunting opportunities for it's just gonna deer. be better for their soil too and, and when it, they come back absolutely. in to plant that next spring you there's know? there's uh legumes in there to go yeah less and, and that would work even in grazing fescue and pasture situations in yeah. pasture so you graze great yep. a lot of times we've seen it so much this year because we're a little drier than normal but pastures graze down really short lip high and to where it's going to take a little while for that fescue to get some rain and start growing again you can go in and drill this cover crop in a pasture. Now, ideally, you've drilled it in a, in certain areas of the pasture, and there's a rest period where it can get established before mm-hmm. you start grazing. That's the trick. But if you do that in a fescue pasture, now you've taken what was once barren land of wildlife, um, and you have some I, some great forage here that the cows are also going to benefit from. Mm-hmm. Because if you graze it correctly, they're not going to graze it in the dirt. There's still going to be some residual crops after the cows graze it that are there for the wildlife mm-hmm. so the next one is called emerge <clears throat> and it is a mix of annual clovers and some grains this is kind of that to me i think of annual clovers as being in an area that and, and we'll discuss this and the difference between the emerge blend and the revival blend um, the emerge blend is balanza clover crimson clover bursine clover 
oats, and triticale. So three, three annual clovers, two grains as far as spring oats and triticale. Um, and I think right off the bat is you've got clovers, but then you got the grains in there. What's what's the deal with that? And that is a a nurse crop situation. You're trying to help that annual clover be established and protected when it's young so it does not get overbrowsed and have again the diversity within that stand we always talk about um coming back into clover plots and planting in, in a perennial situation um these grains that take in that nitrogen but this is a situation to help nurse along and get it established for great growth and to me it's one of the and it's another tool in the tool belt when you look at trying to break up your rotations of just the mm-hmm. same thing over and over and over again I would rather, if you're asking me a would you rather, I would rather plant this blend in a little bit bigger food plot because annual clovers are, are more affordable than your perennial clovers. And you could establish, a, let's say, a one or two acre plot of this and have and break up that soybean glyphosate resistant soybean year after year after year. Mm-hmm. You add this, you're getting something else in there to where you're going to help have more roots in the ground you're going to have more forage available um, you're also going to have some grains with the spring oats and cereal rider where you're going to mine some different nutrients you're just breaking up that cycle of the same thing over and over and over That's what so, we and, and do. it's not leaving just the the soybeans like i say let's say you have a, a rough august and and you're expecting grain what do you do what's a quick fix this is an option break mm-hmm. that break that cycle and plant something have something covering the soil throughout that that winter and fall period and it's a great forage at and, the same time and when you look at the life cycle of these crimson clover bursine clover and this balanza clovers if you were to come back and plant something like uh, soybeans the next spring you're probably going to look at that and say i have to terminate that because it's time mm-hmm. to plant soybeans and that's still thriving well if you're trying to break up that cycle this is where you say okay i'm gonna let that run its course and then I'm going to return in June, mid-June, and I'm going to, let's say I've got crabgrass. That's a bad problem. This mm-hmm. is something that Matt and I and my brother seen this year in some of our food plots. We have crabgrass problem, and we planted the heritage blend, so we're not going to go spray it. We'd rather have that crabgrass than have bare ground. Mm-hmm. But if we plant these this emerge in it, and we let that run its course, we're now suppressing that crabgrass from having exposed soil sometime in May, and... Then if it does start getting a hole, this has ran its course in June or late May, and we're going to then come in and plant, let's say, a milo and millets and cowpeas and sun hemp and some of these other species that are more heat tolerant, and that soil's been covered so we still have soil moisture, then we're going to spray out and kill off any of the crabgrass, any of the other stuff that's coming up and then plant those mixes. It allows you to change the timing in which you're typically doing herbicide treatments in your, your typical rotation to be able to fight crabgrass. In our situation, might be a different weed that comes up after It could you be plant. mare's tail. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was about to ask. Yeah. Would that stuff suppress a lot of that mare's tail stuff you're that we're having stuff issues help. with? Yes, because you're you're covering the soil. Right. And that's that's what we're looking for. And, and it's the taking soil. more the nutrient. It's just choking yes. it out, right? Yeah. And, and again, it's it's changing that time when when the mare's tail is typically in your situation, flushing and pushing through. That is is already covered. It's not like you've sprayed earlier mm-hmm. like you typically would with <clears> plain <throat> soybeans and exposed it and said, "Hey, now mare's tail, come on and grow." That 
coverage is already there for a longer period, so it suppresses it. When do you start line. seeing mare's tail growing? Typically, it's probably late May or June of some it, point. Yeah, it feels like it's more and in the it summer just, for us. Yeah, it's then the summer, it and it just it's, bolts during June and July. Yeah. But emerges at that point. It emerges, yeah. but that's it, that would be trying to merge during this emerge blends <laughs> yeah. right. primo time when it's when it's ran its cycle, so it's it's growing as tall as it's growing. It's starting to make seed, and it's just it's covering the ground. Mm-hmm. So it's not having the ability to grow through that as much. And that's so, when you go in with and the soybean. And then we're going to wait and let this later. run its course. Yeah, and you go in and spray yeah. out if you have it, and then you're going to plant your other stuff that's more heat drought tolerant. So you'll have something growing up into the into the summer. And, and, su- and sunflowers, another thing you yeah. can plant. And, uh, and then you come back in the fall and plant something else. And it's all about – Keeping that soil cover the whole year and and suppressing changing, those weeds. Yeah, changing the game. You yeah. do so, the same thing every every single year, same time. You're just, yeah, you're gonna fight the same thing. Yeah. Change the game. So we have a few minutes left. One last one is the revival. Um, this one is I don't think I've listed any of these species in the three other mixes that we talked about because mm-hmm. this one has a wide variety of ways to use it. It's called revival because it comes back and and it's a fighter that's right and it's red clover mm. it's ladino clover yep alfalfa and mm. chicory now mm. i think to me this is one of those where you can use it in many applications um i know a lot i'm of, giddy about this one this <laughs> is really one am. where a cattle farmer probably somewhere is going mm, i could get me some fescue and mix that in there i got yeah. a pretty good hay field right <laughs> you can't fescue out there also <laughs> yeah. yeah oh boy if i mix them in some orchard grass that's pretty good hay right i might make hay out that one right there and so um and also these the emerge and revival are sold in so emerge is sold in 11 pound bags and Revival is sold in a 4.2-pound bag or tote. Which so it'll be both a of those container. covers an acre, though. What are, yeah. yes. Any idea on estimate on cost? I don't know the cost. I don't on those know the cost, yeah. Okay. 11 pounds, curious. the Emerge covers a quarter acre. Quarter acre, okay. So you need, you need uh, four of those to plant an acre. But um, how's that for your math? Um, <laughs> Dang. Man. So we got red clover, ladino clover, issue. alfalfa, and chicory. So... Uh, to me, you can plant this in your little bitty kill plots where mm-hmm. you're going to get tons of browse pressure and you're wanting it to come back year after year because realistically, you're never going to get soybeans to grow in those little bitty tiny plots. You're never going to really get any corn to grow or some of your other species. What you can get to grow is a shade-tolerant species like alfalfa, clovers, and chicory. Now, the reason chicory's in there, it's a broadleaf. And this goes into our whole what we would recommend going with revival when you establish this this fall ideally you're going to mix in let's say 15 pounds of wheat or trid kale or oats in with the revival to nurse it along to nurse it along get her established and that will help protect it at that young stage let it get established but then you have three legumes you have the alfalfa and the two clovers that are going to be fixating nitrogen as they grow as they're fixating that nitrogen, they're putting that nitrogen back into the soil, they're not using it. So it's just becoming an abundant s- supply of nitrogen, which the chicory is going to take advantage of because he's broadleaf. And it's going to take advantage and start using that, using that nitrogen. If you don't have something in there to use that nitrogen, 
as nature works, it tries to correct itself. That's where weeds come along. Mm -hmm. They're trying to tap into that abundance of nitrogen and equal that back out and use it. So if we put something in there, it's going to use the nitrogen rather than we let nature just pick what's going to use the nitrogen. And not just at a during the fall stage, but chicory lasts longer throughout the summer as well. So it, it's utilizing that nitrogen spring and summer, not just in the fall when we're going back and planting these um, small grains like your wheat and oats and, and rye into these clover clover stands. But what uh, one thing that has, has always, I don't know, frustrated me, just kind of bugged me about your typical, oh, I've got, I've got my clover plot. Is, is the midsummer is when it does get hot and when it does get a little drier. Those those plots just shut down. They're just like, you know what, mm-hmm. I'm going underground. I'm protecting myself. I'm putting my, my nutrients back in my roots so I don't get burnt up. But alfalfa and red clover, the way those work, they are more – red clover peak is really a June time frame and into parts of July. And alfalfa can – you know, it, get, it gets cut and grows – you know, it gets cut around here five times, four or five times a season throughout an entire summer. So it is growing and offers a lot of benefit during the summertime. And then we still have um, your a white clover in there for the the peak of early spring and then later into the fall. So to me, it, it covers a longer time frame, a longer duration. It offers those acres that you plant the revival in is going to offer more forage up a longer portion of the year. Like it kind of breaks that like, oh, I just, I got my Durana, my Patriot <laughs> clovers. That's great. And that that's, has fed tons and tons of wildlife. But this will take that another step farther and offer a different varieties throughout a, a, uh, a more stressful time period. More forage. Nice. Way to go, Stratton. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Great. Four great blends. Check it out. What's the ideal time for this one? The revival to plant? You plant all these in the in the in fall, the, okay. Forty to sixty-five days before the first frost, average frost in your area. So that could vary depending on where you're at. Could be early August, late July, just depends. And that is all at GoStratonSeed.com. And don't ask us where, uh, what what you should plant where. We need more information. <laughs> you better have a long paragraph if you email in of of uh, all these other factors. No, I'm just kidding. No, we we do love that question. We want to help any any possible way that we can. Um, but these these are really four solid options that we feel um, can cover a basis in, in a lot of people's uh, wherever they're at in their food plotting techniques or um, property development. You know, it, it they're solid options. That's right. You guys. Ready for a would you rather? Sure, I don't have one. You don't have one? I, I think I've got a good one. I thought this the other day. I was like, I need to remember that one. Let's say this is mm-hmm. a situation. You guys can only choose one of the four options. <laughs> Man, one he's of the really four. been thinking about this. No, like, I, one of the four. So one it's of the would four. you rather of the four. Correct, correct. In it's a scent really control. The game works, but whatever. I'm changing the game. In the scent control world, you have one option of these four techniques of scent control which one would you want to use for best success first one washing your clothes before the hunt second one spray down in the field third is an ozonics or you know scent limiter in the tree with you or like a pre-treating with ozone before you even go out you can only use one of those this Mm. season which one are you hedging your bets is going to be the biggest payoff for you in your hunting scenario so it's washing clothes spraying down in the field 
ozone in the tree or pre-treating your hunting clothes with ozone? What are you doing? Silence. Stumped him. Yes. I personally don't think any of those work. <laughs> he, I think they the guy. all work, but I, I wouldn't put one of them. I was hoping that one of them, to be fair, would be hunting the wind. Play your wind. That's yeah. exactly what I was and thinking. And I'm like, okay, so. I do nothing to treat my clothes. I'll be straight honest with yeah. you. So what do, do you use? I thought you are the, the Indian wind. With, with the smoke. You got to use something. like. What I mean, you, I wash my clothes, with, yes. With water? Or do you well, use, use any any sort of well? I get detergent. yeah. I've I've used that that uh, what's the local uh, the guys out of Kansas City dead downwind oh, detergent okay. or something yeah. like that. You use that, so I guess I suppose yeah that. But you use it because <clears throat> you have it. You don't really put much. I still stock think in. if I were to wash all my clothes and that stuff head to toe, mm-hmm. and a deer walks downwind to me, they're still gonna smell me because we produce oils this on our skin. This is a terrible question. No, this is I'm a say great this. question. I want to say this right here. I always wash my clothes in some non-scented yeah. detergent. But if you were to say, okay, well, I'm going with the treating it and all an ozonics, or uh, I'm using a, an ozone machine to treat my clothes in a bag before I go out. Well, then that's like saying, well, I'm washing it in my wife's laundry detergent. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And so uh, he's wanting us to put our hand in the bear trap, and we won't no, do it. No, it's, it's simply, it's <laughs> well, simply here's a- saying, what do you think? It, it, is is most effective. Here's obviously a, wind. Playing the wind trumps yeah, all of that. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knows. You're that. right. Um, if I okay, it depends too on uh, what I'm hunting out of. If I'm hunting out of a ground blind or a built box blind, the ozonics I've, I have seen that work pretty well in an enclosed area. But out of a tree stand, I don't know if it really. You know, I hate to. I'm not trying to down any it, company or you anything. Have no, right, you have to have the right. You have to have the right situation for it to work. Right. And I think so, if you're in an enclosed area, I think that ozonics is a little bit more effective. Mm-hmm. So, so if I was a hunt out of a blind, I'd pick the ozonics. Yeah, uh, that's why I have trouble picking one. Right. But so. yeah, I wash my clothes. I mean, okay, so I would. I guess overall, yeah, wash your clothes, everyone, so you don't <laughs> smell. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> It, you guys tore that apart and made that way too difficult. No, you have to. You can't. It's just like it's you just, just ask to... us, pick your favorite food plot. And we <laughs> no, said, it's not. Oh, I'll pick this one. I'll, I'll play your game. Um, no. I, yeah. If if playing the win was in that one, I would automatically said that. Well, but, no kidding. Um, yeah. Sorry. That's a no-brainer. Yeah. Do you have one? I'm trying to. Think I, of a, a would you rather one. now that's like, would you rather, if you could take a spaceship, would you rather go to the moon or <laughs> Mars? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. That was yeah. a perfectly good question. Uh, perfectly good. I kind of have one. I don't know. I'm sure this, this question has been asked a lot, but like, would you rather say you're hunting a... This might be a giveaway too. Say you're hunting like a particular buck on your farm, like a nice buck. Would you rather did that camera just click? Hold on. Would you Sorry, rather? Everyone. Here, here's my know. would you rather. Would you rather um, use a broadhead that is a expandable, but it is the old school forward opening, so it opened mm-hmm. from the front, or a mm-hmm. rear deploying three blade fix a. Th- three-bladed fixed blade mm. 
a two-blade rear deploying expandable or three-blade is rear is, deploying or front deploying. Work. Front deploying. You can't use it. It's either you can't use your your rear deploying like a rage or a. Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you can't. That's not. It's it's three. They, they both work. Oh, that's <laughs> stupid. We can really get. That's so dumb, Adam. Is it out of, is it out it's of a realistic? Oh, is it a crossbow or, or, or a compound? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd probably go with fixed. Have you shot a lot of fixed? Yeah, I mean, I used to. I mean, for the first five, ten years I ever hunted, yep. I always shot muzzies. Right. You know. Right. Huh. Muzzy hundreds. <laughs> Is it? Do we got a two-inch cut on that Joker? It's your. Uh, I'm just thinking ten years ago. Oh, so they rocket two had a. Then. They were like inch and a half, yeah. inch and three quarters. I would have gone with the fixed blade then. Yeah, that's what. To me, I probably would have. Answered that that same way, just because when those came out, it was like, oh wow, we're using expandable. But there's some, there were some major issues that people had with them, and I, myself included, that kind of really made me go. And now I'd probably shoot a fixed blade, and people that know me well know that that's kind of hard for me to say. All right, so say you're hunting a particular buck, um, say it's the biggest one on your farm. Yep, and. Would you rather try to – so you're trying to be really st- strategic on when you go in and try to kill this buck. Yep. Would you rather try to kill him in the early season, during the rut, or during the late season? Mm. There could my be a lot one, that goes into that. My but number I mean, one hit lister? Like, yeah. Well, I would – automatically want to shoot him in late season because i'd want to have to hunt him all i want to hunt him as much as i can yeah True. I, I, it's bittersweet of the early season because you kind of get it over and done with um I, i'm gonna say no on the rut honestly because that's just that's a I'm wild the same card. way I, I, yeah you don't know where he's going necessarily um he could chase a doe and just be gone for a couple days are you asking back, whatever just hunting during those three or just okay yeah i guess when would you want to kill him if I, if because, I just want to kill him, I want to kill him during the late season. Okay. But if I want to hunt one, like if I'm thinking the the magical like hunt, it's it it is the rut hunt of going wow with the chasing a doe. That's really cool. That's some of the 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 leaves are as beautiful as they're gonna get. It's a beautiful time right. to be hunting. The the rut, the sounds and everything. Dude, I kind of like that like those mid-october to late october cold fronts too mm-hmm. yeah those are beautiful mm-hmm. hunts too yeah P- everything's still weather. really green yep. there's a few things changing yeah a lot of deer a lot of just buck activity a lot of the does are kind of hiding back because they're getting yeah i love seeing sparring in fields yeah so i guess yeah i guess killing what would you do from a strategy standpoint, I guess now. I mean, when would you rather kill that buck? We're not asking the question yeah. for you, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're asking it's us, a loaded one. If it we is. only had one week to, if we were like, okay, yeah, this maybe is that. my best chance to kill that buck. I'm gonna say late, late season, season with a food over source. Over food source, okay. That's to yeah. me. That's In when a you kill environment. It. Yeah, that's yeah. what you'd go to. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, honestly, when it comes to early season, it can be hot, and, right. and it just. We're not gonna say. I just like that idea of trying to the killing one that very opening evening, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, that's it's always cool. been a bucket list of mine. I haven't done yeah. it. Yeah, it's something I really. You're am pretty close to, to some good ones early I, last I've year. I've been right? close, just on on bigger fields, just been on yeah. the wrong side of the field, yeah. and mature bucks have come out. But right, right, that's a bucket list thing to kill a, a nice buck opening evening. 
Well, my birthday is August 24th, and I've always – I hear people like, oh, I killed a turkey on my birthday. Oh, I killed a deer on my birthday. You can now. I can now. Yes. You can now. Oh, wait. Is that Tennessee, Tennessee opened up this early season three-day three velvet buck hunt. Oh, that would be fun. And it I falls think it's private like, land only right now. Yes. It's like the 24th, 4th, 5th, 5th, and 6th. Dude, that would be fun. Yeah. It it's would be wild. hot and mesquite. Oh, man. Give me 10 yeah, thermocells. Yeah, it would be, it would and, be yeah. <laughs> But I could kill a buck on my birthday. Velvet. Velvet buck on That'd my birthday. Sick. Covered in seed ticks. Sweating like crazy. <laughs> but I could Out do late. it. I mean, you could oh. do it. Uh, well, that's probably the only to I me, mean, you could kill honestly, a mule deer. I'm I'm yeah. a little nervous to see what comes out of Tennessee because that's a time frame where There's those still, deer dude. are extremely patternable. Right? Yeah, if dude. if you have deer that you're eyeing, you ought to be able to get in there with the right winds, which is kind of tough for a three day mm-hmm. season. But you ought to be able to get in there and stick a good one. Yeah, I mean the chances are good. Fun. It's a unique thing. I I, I I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if other states trying to adopt it as well. That is a short time frame, bucks only. That's not just for residents, you said? It's, no, that's whole country. Can't yeah. do it. But it's private. It's on private ground only. Mm. Mm, that's kind of a bummer. So, neat opportunity. Yeah, very cool. All right, that pretty well wraps up this week's podcast, and we will catch you next time. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering on the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Yeah.